Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. I'm Will Sherlin, and on this week's episode, we'll be looking at why innovation is everyone's job, how leaders can create a culture where everyone owns innovation, why you should empower all employees to become part of the innovation process, and pitfalls and roadblocks to avoid when doing so. Here with us today to discuss all that and more is Dr. Jackie Freiberg, who along with her husband, Kevin, has written numerous books about how some of the world's most successful companies build cultures that thrive on innovation. Dr. Freiberg has been named one of the top 30 best minds on leadership by Leadership Excellence Magazine, and her and Kevin's most recent book, Do Something Now, Be the One Who Makes Something Happen, came out in June. The couple is now hard at work on their next book, Company with a Cause, Live an Insanely Great Life While Doing Meaningful Work. In addition to being best-selling authors, Jackie and Kevin are both sought-after speakers on the subjects of innovation, execution, and corporate leadership development. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Freiberg. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. So let's start off today talking about the notion that innovation is everyone's job, because I'm sure there are people out there who would take issue with that. Why do you think it's important in this day and age for us to see innovation as being everyone's job? Well, innovation is the craze these days. Uh, There isn't any organization out there that isn't talking about the need to innovate. It's, you know, innovate or perish, innovate or die. And so if we believe that, and I think most senior levels, level executives do believe that, what they will tell you is they will tell you that they believe that it's necessary for them to survive in the future. Not just survive, but thrive, right? But the caveat is the big but. But not every organization understands or every leader understands how is it that we chart a course for innovation? Do we create an innovation center where we free people from the daily distractions of work and business as usual? Or do we try and invite, engage, enable, empower all people to think about the contributions that they can make on a daily basis to create a service innovation, a process innovation, an efficiency innovation, a cost savings. I personally believe, and I think the innovative companies today have created a culture where everyone owns innovation. Is it easy? No. Is it a requirement? Yes. Is it mandatory? I think so. Okay. And, and, You mentioned the most innovative companies out there today. Can you share a few examples of products or services that have been created by some of those companies as a result of innovation being everyone's job that might otherwise have never seen the light of day? Yeah, you know, I think I think some people think innovation has to be a huge product innovation. I mean, what did we just experience yesterday? Uh, the Apple Watch, you know, the the iPhone six, okay. and people tend to think of you know Apple as you know the innovator of of the day, and we're always watching and looking. But not all companies are apples. Not all companies are big companies. We get called on by small, medium-sized companies, uh, big companies, entrepreneurs, for-profit, not-for-profit. And one of the things that we like to talk about is if we're going to talk about innovation being everyone's job, 
what we have to do is we have to share examples of organizations where people in their own circles of influences have come up with an idea. And they don't just talk about the idea. They don't just dream about the idea. They find a way to execute on the idea and make the idea come to life to create a positive change for others. So a very, a very um, powerful example in San Diego, one of our best healthcare providers is the Sharp Healthcare System. And a little hospital of that system is Sharp Coronado Hospital. Mm-hmm. They service uh, the Coronado Island area. And a number of the phlebotomists, so those are the people that draw blood every single day, took a look at their clients, their customers, their patients. And what they realized is they realized that the majority of the patients that they were serving on a daily basis were elderly. And their biggest complaint about coming in and getting their blood drawn was having to park, having to then walk from the parking structure into the hotel, get their blood drawn, and then go through the same old you know, process to get back to the car. So what did the phlebotomists do? They said, how could we come up with a service innovation that borrowed from outside healthcare to try and create an experience for our customers that caused them to say, wow. So you know what the phlebotomists did? They borrowed from outside the industry and they created the drive-through phlebotomy. So an elderly patient can literally drive up, stick their arm out, (laughs) the phlebotomist comes out, draws their blood, and they get to drive away. That's a service innovation. That's healthcare. That's a highly regulated environment. They have created an innovation because people who were at the point of service, the touch point with the patient, realized a need, and they made that idea come to life. Okay, great. That's a, that's a fantastic example. Uh, you, you probably have to, to be pretty close to that to, to realize that there would be a demand for a drive-through, uh, for drive-through <laughs> blood taking, right? I mean, yeah. on its face, it sounds like a crazy idea, um, but but obviously it works. Okay, great example. So is there anything that companies should be aware of or certain pitfalls that they should avoid when looking to open up innovation efforts at their companies to a wide net of people? Yeah, I think one of the big pitfalls is just uh, what's going on in the hearts and minds of people these days. One of the things that we know um, about at least United States statistics mm-hmm is we know that 52%, so more than half, of the people that are coming to work today are frustrated. And you know why they're frustrated? They're frustrated because they bring their ideas to their supervisors or to their managers. And, Will, what do you suppose happens? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Those ideas fall into this black hole. Or if they don't fall into a black hole, oftentimes the supervisor will say, oh, we've tried that. Oh, you know what? We don't have time for that. You know what? We don't have enough resources for that. Oh, you know what? They'll never buy into that. There's either a yeah, but attached to it. No, it won't work attached to it. Or, oh, yeah, interesting idea. And then, you know, people lose it. And so people are frustrated because if we think about people coming to work, no one comes to work wanting to fail. No one comes to work saying, I just want to go through the motions today. I really don't care about adding value. When we're really gut-wrenchingly honest with ourselves, we realize that really at the end of the day, everyone wants to make a difference. We just do. And if we issue up ideas because we're at the point of contact or we're highly connected to a process that isn't working or a colleague that needs some assistance or a, a customer or a client or a patient who needs something different, 
where our wheels are spinning and we want to add value. We want to make a difference. And if people aren't listening to us, we begin to check out. And when we check out, then we either we either stay in the organization, but we've quit, as Ken Blanchard likes to say, or we literally leave and bring those ideas to another place or space or become entrepreneurs versus intrapreneurs. And organizations need people who are intrapreneurs. Those are the innovators within an organization. So we need to listen to ideas. We need to create systems where ideas can um, be brought to life, not just you know fall into a black hole. Okay, got it. And are there different ways that you recommend companies of different sizes or stages approach this? So let's say you're an early stage company with less rigid processes or no processes, maybe. I imagine it's different for you than if you're a Fortune 500 company with decades of history. Yeah. I actually think it's probably easier if you're not a a Fortune 500 with decades of history. Um, A lot of people would think, well, they've got a lot of resources. Yeah, they do, but oftentimes they become, um, the the system becomes too difficult to change. So if you're a smaller organization, if you're a startup organization, if you're entrepreneurial, if you're mid-size, you've got a lot of freedom. Um, Managers, I'm not, this doesn't have to be, you know, an organizationally designed new system. If managers were just empowered and, and came to work with, Let's listen to the ideas and the insights of our people. Engagement in this country is at an all-time low, and sadly, those engagement statistics have not changed a whole lot in the last 10, 12 years. They're remaining pretty flat. So people are not engaged when they're coming to work, again, because they want to add value, they want to make a difference, but they're feeling like they're just not being listened to. So I think it's really up to managers supervisors to create a team where people have the freedom to bring their ideas. Here's the huge but with that. When we are encouraging people to bring their ideas to change a system, to improve a system, to to save some costs, or whatever it happens to be, I think we have to also educate and train people to bring those ideas in the form of a business case present the ideas in a way that shows the manager or the supervisor or the team the return on investment. We have to get people to start thinking about innovation as a return on investment, create pockets of innovation that create a return on our investments. Okay, got it. So you you may have just partially answered this with saying that there needs to be a business case attached to it, but in an environment where innovation is everyone's job, How do you recommend keeping track of and kind of ranking innovative ideas so it doesn't turn into a free-for-all? Yeah, um, I guess that's where where people kind of shut down. Do we really have to keep track of them all? If we have open collaborative systems within an organization where managers are meeting with their people regularly and people people have the freedom to share their ideas and share their ideas in a business case format. And not only just with a business case format, but they're also saying, I've done my homework on this idea. I've talked to people in cross-functional areas. I've gotten to know what else is going on within the organization. I am the connoisseur or I am the subject matter expert on whether or not this idea will add value, will make a difference, will create an enhancement. So the owner of the idea has to do their homework before they actually present it. That's one thing that has to happen. 
and then I think what happens is is you create a small system, not a huge system, but uh, um, within the department, within the team, they start to share these ideas. Maybe it's quarterly, and maybe the team collaborates on what's the most high leverage, innovative idea, creative change in a process that we can deploy this next quarter. Have each team come up with their own system. It doesn't have to be a corporate system. Okay, got it. So let me ask you, you and your husband Kevin's mission, as you put it on your website, is to create the best places where the best people can do their best work to make the world better. So to that end, you've studied a number of leading corporations and looked at what they do to build a culture that encourages innovation. What are some of the quote-unquote corporate traits you have found that the most innovative companies in the world have in common? Mm-hmm. Um, good question. Uh, that's sort of an open-ended um, bucket list of, of traits, if you will. Mm-hmm. I would say, uh, first and foremost, the cultures that are best places, best people, you know, best work, make the world better, are places that are purposeful and intentional about the kind of culture that they want to create for their people. And what I mean by purposeful and intentional is every single organization has a culture. Some of those cultures are accidental. And by that, I mean people walk in one day and they look around and they go, oh, my gosh, how did we get this way? It was sort of a little flavor this month and then another flavor this month and then someone brought this book in this month and then all of a sudden they become this compilation of something, something, but it's not real intentional. It really isn't purposeful. It was just, you know, this win, that win, this trend, that trend. The cultures that are best places that ultimately make the world better are cultures, are companies that take culture seriously, and, and culture is a strategic initiative. And, and that means the senior level executives and all people are committed and involved in what the culture is and then what's going to drive the culture forward. Culture is as much the will of the people as it is the will of the senior leaders. And, and culture is thousands of little things, Will. So every, every organization has its own. And if I go into Southwest Airlines, they've got their own culture that is sort of defined by the spirit of Southwest Airlines. And then it's lived out through the values of Southwest Airlines. Zappos has its own culture. And, and then National Life Group, which is another company that I'm working with to help them transform their culture. You know, they are one company, one culture, one cause that holds on tight to three values, do good, be good, and make good come to life. So... It's really about defining who you are, where you want to go, and then how people are going to lean into the values to make it come to life. Yeah, and, and I like that you used Zappos in that example. I actually watched a video not too long ago of Zappos' CEO, and he talked about a company that he started before Zappos, I believe it was. Yeah. And he, he ended up selling it because he and the co-founders who he'd started this company with, they'd built it from you know, three people into 120 or something along those lines. So they came in, and, the, and, and it was drudgery coming into work every day, and they didn't exactly. recognize the company anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, yeah, and, and yeah, they're, they're obviously a much heralded company for their culture and, and their emphasis on the customer. Um, but, you know, obviously it's something that takes a little while to perfect, and he didn't get it right the first time around, but obviously has with Zappos. Absolutely, he really has. And, you know, sometimes knowing what we don't want 
helps us chart the course for exactly what we do want. So Tony at Zappos had the opportunity to be in a culture that was toxic, cancerous. It was just horrible to be there. And he said, this is so bad. I don't want to get up and go to work in the morning. I'm going to change it in the next opportunity that I have. And he was able to do that. He's been able to create Zappos, which is an iconic culture these days. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, another company with the, with the relatively well-known and respected culture is Foursquare. One of the things you've written about on your website is the importance of rating yourself on your creative output. And the example that you give is their VP of product management, Noah Weiss. Uh, Noah apparently rates himself not just every work week, but every weekend as well, based on his creative output. So what's the benefit of subjecting yourself to this kind of rating system, not just every week, but every weekend as well? Well, uh, I love that you're reading our blog. Thank you. Um, yeah, what an incredible example of an individual who is holding himself accountable to what he values and trying to drive the organization forward. As the, v- as the VP of product development, he has to be creative. So when you know you have to do something each and every day, you walk in with that top of mind. That can easily become back of mind, bottom of mind, when you are distracted by all the day-to-day details. Everybody else's urgent issues that aren't your urgent issues, but because you're there and you're the leader, they become yours. What Noah has done in terms of self-evaluating himself weekly and weekend-wise is he said, I have to keep creativity top of mind. That's my big, bold yes. So when I look at my day and I look at the, the, the interruptions that happen in a day, it's a lot easier to say no to a frivolous distraction or someone else's urgent issue when I know that's not going to add or facilitate any type of creativity contribution to my team, this business, or what we're trying to accomplish around here. Having a big, bold yes that you're holding yourself accountable to, in his case, it's creativity, you can say no to the other distractions keeps it top of mind for you. You will, you will do what you measure. And the other thing that's fascinating about what Noah Weiss does, not only does he self-evaluate, but he posts his evaluation for his entire team to see. That's accountability. That is very cool. So, so focus is what you say no to is a, uh, is a phrase we toss around here pretty often, and it sounds like he's got that pegged. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you about you and Kevin's latest book. It's called Do Something Now, Be the One Who Makes Something Happen. So the title probably gives some of it away, but what's the book's main message and who have you found that it resonates most with? You know, it's it's an interesting uh, journey for us because we've written uh, four trade book publications before it, and those books have all been an inch or a little bit, you know, thicker in content because we typically go really deep when we're writing about uh, a concept or a company. And what we've learned is people these days don't want a big, thick book, the majority of people. They want something they can read from, you know, San Diego to Dallas, um, Boston to New York. And so what we decided we would do is not only write a really short, quick read, but we do an ebook. And um, what, what we did is we published this as an iBook, so you could literally read it on your iPhone, your iPad, or your smartphone technology, and, you know, you could pop, you know, a video and watch it right, that, right there real time. Mm-hmm. And then people would call us and they'd say, hey, we want, you know, 100 copies. This is so good. We want to give them to our team. And we thought, 
oh, wait, we don't have print copies of this. So even though we thought we were blazing a trail and being innovative and doing an iBook only, an eBook, um, people really want a print version. So then we had to go print too so people could give this as a handout or as a gift, not a handout, but a gift to their team. And I share that because what we're finding is it's a book that's right for everybody because the book is designed to inspire all people in all places. It doesn't matter if you're the, the leader of the company or if you are, you know, answering the phones in a call center or if you are at the reception desk and being the ambassador of first impressions. This is about dreaming ideas into life. So it's about dreaming. It's about taking those dreams into a place and a space within your organization where you are actually making them come to life. And here's the big deal, making a difference. Again, we go back to where we started, Will. It, people don't come to work wanting to kind of go through the motions and just be dull and, you know, dead on arrival. People really want to walk away at the end of the day and go, you know what? I made a difference. I added value today. This is a book that helps people take their dreams into, you know, doable ideas. And is there, is there any advice in the book that you think would be relevant to share with listeners based on the idea that innovation truly is every employee at a company's job? Yeah, um, dream, yeah. but dreams without deadlines are just wishes, right? right? And lots of people like to dream and like to, you know, have big visionary conversations, but dreams and visionary conversations aren't what help us create innovative organizations. So what I would say is I would say, read this quick little book, Dare to Try. That means bring your dreams to a place where you can create or attach a deadline to those dreams, build a business case around those dreams, and then do them. Do, uh, accomplish the deadline. Achieve or work toward that deadline. So the bottom line is this book is about equipping people with the inspiration and some tools and strategies to dare to try. Organizations that are innovative companies are filled with people who dare to try. Okay, great. And yeah, we had a, a previous guest on uh, whose book sounds like there's some some overlap with yours, Whitney Johnson. Her book is called Dare Dream Do. So so probably much mm. of the same uh, much, Good, of, yeah. much of the same advice. But yeah, she was fantastic. Had her on to talk about disruptive innovation. Uh, um, okay, so. Uh, I I asked a a little bit before about anecdotes of companies that have created innovative products or services uh, as a result of innovation being everyone's job. And I think real world anecdotes kind of help paint pictures. Do you have a favorite story or two from the book that you could share uh, about how people or companies have found innovation, innovation success by the simple step of just taking action and doing something to get moving in the right direction? Well, you know, I think the, the healthcare example that I shared just a, a few moments ago is really a great example of someone in, you know, just their own unique space within the system. <clears throat> they were able to actually bring a service innovation to life. We have multiple exa- examples of that at Southwest Airlines because it's truly, you know, a best place where, you know, the best people can do their best work to make the world better. Um, you got flight attendants who are literally brand new to the company, you know, walking up and down um, the airplane, collecting all the empty drink cans and all the empty peanut wrappers and that kind of thing at the end of the flight and look around and go, well, wait, 
we've got logos on these trash bags. I wonder how much it costs the company. We're a low-cost, you know, service provider. We've got to drive costs out of the business without compromising service or security or safety or schedule or any of that stuff. I wonder why we have logos on our trash bags because our passengers all know they're flying on Southwest. So she asked her colleagues who, you know, aren't new but are more seasoned. They don't know. She asked the res agent. They don't know. She asked the pilot. They don't know. She calls one of the senior executives, and they said, you know, we're going to find out. And the company no longer has logos on their trash bags. And that woman, who is relatively new, who had the guts to ask a question, see something that perhaps wasn't necessary, saved the company $350,000 a year. You know, it's and it, there's example after example like that within you know, the teams at Southwest Airlines, it's the rampant operations agents who are looking up at the belly of the airplane and going, you know, we are an airline that turns planes faster than any other carrier in this industry. How can we continue to turn these planes fast without compromising safety, without compromising schedule? So it's the rampant operations agents who are looking up and going, you know, if we, can re- if we could reconfigure this airplane, we could service it simultaneously. And so, you know, they said, what do we do? Well, hey, let's, let's lock arms. Let's bring the idea to the senior managers. And the senior managers said, great idea. You go up to Boeing. You ask them if they can reconfigure the plane. This was a number of years ago, and the, they went up to Boeing. Rampant operations agents went up to Boeing with their idea, and they reconfigured an airplane. So it's, it's, it's people who have the freedom to look around, bring their idea to a place where then they can, you know, execute on it and make a difference to the company. Okay, great. I love the, uh, the Southwest story about the, the logos on the bags. Mm-hmm. It reminds me, of, and I'm sure the same type thing happens in companies throughout the country, but a, a personal anecdote, a family friend of ours used to work for a company that was at the time CPNL. It's now Progress Energy. I believe they were acquired by Duke Energy. Anyway, goes back to kind of, you, you know, you, you can't measure what you don't track. They ended up finding something close to $350,000 in savings because their workers that were out on the front line were using uh, powdered Gatorade as opposed to you know, buying Gatorade in bulk and putting it in the cooler, something along those lines. I mean, crazy amounts of value that they could have saved and that they did end up saving once they figured out exactly where that money was going. Um, so I, I imagine there are all kinds of uh, hid, there's all kinds of hidden value in many companies throughout the U.S. If uh, if people, much like Noah Weiss, will uh, will just measure uh, yeah, you know, the, yeah. the the things that are happening right under their nose, and and dare to try. We have a, we spend a lot of time at Sundance. Uh, we're big skiers, and Sundance Resort is Robert Redford's you know um, property, and he says that we're 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 an arts community that just happens to have skiing in there. Their um, director of mountain operations realized when looking at all the ski signs all over the mountain, you know, the greens, the blues, the black signs, we need to replace these signs. The budget won't allow it. We don't have the money, can't do it. And so you know what he did? He thought, wow, you know, we've got a community of loyal, faithful skiers in this whole area in Utah. And so he said, what if we were to take our, our old signs and post them on eBay for, you know, the people who are homeowners at Sundance, the people who are loyal guests that come to Sundance. We could post them for them to, you know, purchase, and then they could have them as a, you know, sort of a memory of the mountain in their homes. 
those signs sold out so quickly and in addition to selling out fast, what happened is he was able to generate revenue on top of that. So they were able to pay for an, an entirely new set of signs and have extra income. So again, it's one person looking around and saying, let's get creative here. The budget won't allow for it. Well, what could we do that's thinking outside the box? And you know, what could we do to make it happen? Don't yeah. just accept no for an answer. Yeah, definitely harkens back to, so I think it was episode 26 maybe of our podcast. We had Warren Berger on. He's written a book called A More Beautiful Question that was on Business Insider's 20 books to read this summer. And it was all about how to formulate the right question. So it sounds like the the director at its own end said, how can we do something? I'm stuck in a bind. How can I, how can I make something happen? How can I make something yeah. out of nothing? Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, great. So we're, we're getting a little low on time, Dr. Freiberg. Uh, any parting words of wisdom you'd like to share with the audience on why it's important for everyone to see innovation as part of their job? Well, innovation is a requirement for the future, and uh, the parting words would be dare to try. Just try in small pockets. If that, if you're, you know, if you don't dare to do the whole organization, just try it in small pockets. Measure and monitor your success, and then I think the big key is um, even when people fail you still have to recognize them for trying. You don't want to punish them for failing. You want to recognize them for trying. What can you learn from that experience? Learn from it. Don't repeat it. Let go of it and move on. And publicize it for the rest of the organization to see and understand that innovation is taken seriously around here. And when someone does succeed on an innovation, celebrate it, tell a story about it, reward it, and recognize it like crazy. Okay, great. So great words to close on. Thanks so much for the advice, Dr. Freiberg, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks once again to Dr. Jackie Freiberg for joining us this week. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Freiberg, you can visit her and her husband Kevin's website at freibergs.com. That's F-R-E-I-B-E-R-G-S.com. Their latest book, Do Something Now, is available on Amazon.com and in bookstores around the country. Thanks once again to Dr. Jackie Freiberg for joining us this week. And thank you for joining us this week. Don't forget to tune in to next week's episode when we're excited to have Jackie's husband, Kevin, on the podcast to talk about innovation and the power of cause. Why it's important for everyone in your company to know exactly what your cause is. Why we fear living insubstantial lives more than we fear dying, and why it still pays to be a little nuts in the airline industry. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week.